Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. I wanted to come and speak to you today about uh, really what is a pervasive theme of um, Passover, and one that as Messianic Jews, um, we've really focused on usually, and that is the idea of uh, of the Paschal Lamb. Um, if of course it was in all throughout today, uh, you if you we didn't read the Maftir or the additional Torah portion for today, but the Torah portion for the Maftir for this day actually focuses on the original Passover sacrifice, but even more so the continuation of it as a liturgy, as a as a sacred and holy drama that reminds us continually of the Passover, of the Passover sacrifice. Now, among Messianic Jews, much has been said concerning uh, the parallels between the Passover lamb and also the which is the essential sacrifice which God commanded the children of Israel uh, before liberating them from bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt and also bringing um, them into this covenant at Sinai, but also the parallel between that and the blood of the lamb, which is placed upon the lintels and the doorposts of Israel's abodes in Goshen, and similarly the blood of Yeshua, who Yochanan the Immerser referred to as the Lamb of God. This sacrifice that Yeshua made spiritually holds the curse of sin and death in abeyance and brings both Israel and the nations into a renewed covenant with God. So Yeshua himself used these symbols that surround the Seder meal and and the Passover lamb to ritualize and to continue to point forward to his own efficacious sacrifice. Now, the int- the intention of having lamb at the at the Seder is to continually remind us, even though there is no longer a temple which stands, um, and we no longer eat lamb on Passover for that very same reason, but it reminds us of the efficacious nature of the sacrifice and its ongoing presence among us. And for that reason, the concept and the idea is meant to continually linger. Um, in my own home, we just had our first uh, we had our first congregational seder with uh, over a hundred people this past the second night of Passover. It's the first time since COVID, and it was just such a blessing to have everyone together. But that also meant that my wife, who prepared the shank bones, roasted 15 lamb shanks and 
my house still smells like lamb. So there's this lingering sense and this constant reminder about the lamb. But I hope, as Messianic Jews and Messianic believers, we, most of us have cut our teeth on the concept of the Lamb of God. And so I want to just see if I can bring something new and a new idea and a new thought to this idea of the Lamb beyond the just the idea of Yeshua simply being our sacrifice for sin and death. It's not it's not a small thing. In fact, it's an enormous truth that is throughout all of Scripture, and the Exodus is the starting point for all of the apostolic writings. But we want to be able to consider not just the starting point, but how do we go on? How do we continue? How do we grow? And what does it mean for us as believers in Yeshua? You see, both Passover lambs provide material and spiritual redemption for the community of Israel. But they also create a community of redemption out of the people of Israel. And this is accomplished through the dialectic of chesed and gevura. I think you might be familiar with some of this in, in concept. But let me just suggest that we can understand this through the Jewish mystical tradition. Um. Now, I just want to qualify this at first to say, when I talk about the Jewish mystical tradition, I think some of us get very alarmed when we hear mystical. Well, everything in Scripture is mystical. It just simply means that it's a mystery. It's beyond our understanding. It's that which brings the transcendent, that which is far off and away, into the imminent, that which is close and nearby. And of course, the very nature of the incarnation of Yeshua is just that. It's a sense that we can know that God is near us and he's close to us and that we're attached to him. And in Jewish mystical tradition, I want you to think of it not just in terms of magic. And I know there are some people who think of it in those concepts and it's been expressed in some of the uh, but in, in, in some of the um, expressions, but it can also be simply understood as a way of illustrating and understanding um the the truths about god so according to the jewish mystical tradition there is a tree of life and that is that and that tree of life extends throughout all of the created order and there are branches and there are ten, ten branches or sephirot or emanations and these emanations are that with light which comes into the world and of course very, very similar because this, these concepts, they have cognates in the tradition. They have comparative themes that we see arising even in the New Covenant Scripture. The idea of Yeshua coming into the world, and he's the light that comes to the world. And interestingly, there are ten seferot, or ten expressions, of which Yeshua uses those to describe himself continually. So we can understand that these emanate, they come from God, and they come into this world. It's a way that a God who is not in our creation or part of our creation enters into the creation so that we can experience the nearness of our God. I want two of these emanations are the concept of chesed and gevura. Now, chesed was in our Torah portion for today. It says that the Lord, the Lord, 
he has loving kindness for thousands from or it might be understood multitudes in other words god's loving kindness or his chesed the love of god extends to all and we are to be imitators of god we are to bear his image in this world and so god extends his love to the entire world and what this means for the individual is extending ourselves out and reaching out to others, getting beyond the four walls of our house and our own individual needs, reaching out beyond our self-protectionism and seeing how we might be able to help and expand our love for God to others. And I heard that in your uh, in your announcements with the help for Chevron and for local uh, uh, and for local communal ministries. But on the other hand, there's a concept of givora. And this is an inward recoil. Now, the interesting thing about chesed and gevura is we often, in our gender-driven concepts, think of, of chesed or loving kindness as being feminine and gevura or strength as being that which is, is male. Now, we know that God is neither male nor female but that we are created in his image, both male and female. And so it's interesting that Gevorah is a feminine word and chesed is a masculine word. And it's not surprising because anybody who has ever read the Proverbs and read about the the strong and valorous woman realized that the woman is the one who keeps the house together, but also reaches out in commerce, who reaches out to her neighbors this requires a great, uh, uh, but she also is the one who keeps the home and brings everybody together and strengthens the home. And so sometimes we have this sort of divine reversal that can be seen illustrated in these terms. And Gavura is this turning inward. Now, this may sound a little bit selfish, but any one of us who has reached out and helped others realizes that we need a time to experience being alone, to turn inward to ourselves. Um, it was, if anyone is familiar with the term hit, uh, hit in Jewish, uh, tradition, it refers to taking time for silence of being by ourselves, of shutting off the world around us and just allowing ourselves to be strengthened by looking into our inner world, looking into our own heart, understanding our own motivations. You know, we often judge other people's motivational mix. We can't know what other people do, what other people are thinking, what drives them. I've learned after 65 years of living that I rarely ever know completely what motivates myself unless I'm willing to take time to understand what it is that drives me and what is most important to me. So I encourage you to all take time to be alone and to strengthen yourselves, especially we need to recharge our batteries to learn how to be able to just gain from that strength. We also need to practice something called debachut or cleaving, cleaving to what? Cleaving to God. It's in these moments that we can experience both hippo to dude, looking at our inner world and debachut, Reaps cleaving to God and allowing ourselves to be silent before him. 
I think more often than not, people have the difficulty just being quiet and quieting their worlds and quieting themselves. More often than not, we need noise around us. We bring the noise of the world into our most private places. And frankly, sometimes we need to be just alone with ourselves, alone with God, to re-strengthen ourselves before we can reach out and reach out to others. Now, Gevura is that opportunity. We see Yeshua do that. Before he went to the cross, before he made the ultimate sacrifice for Israel and for the world, he went into the garden, and there he chose to be by himself. It's not the first time we see this. When he fed 5,000 with just a few fish and loaves, right after he did that, he went off on his own and found time to be alone with the Father. I think it's important that we learn that we have to strengthen ourselves, that we might be able to reach out and to help and to strengthen others. And this is very true of the community. We see this illustrated in the Paschal, in the Passover lamb, in Exodus chapter 12. Again, a portion that we're very familiar with. But I want you to see the cyclical pattern of Chesed and Gevurah. First, Moses is commanded to speak to the entire assembly of God, instructing them to each select a solitary, unblemished male lamb from the flocks for each and every individual household. And they bring the lamb into their humble homes. You know, I, I think sometimes I'm, I, was I was complaining about the smell of, uh, of lamb in our 2,500 square foot house. Imagine living in an unair conditioned in Goshen, Egypt, a little tiny home with a dirt floor, and you bring and you bring the lamb into the house, and the kitties name them Fluffy or Lamb Chop, and what a surprise they have by the time they get attached to this lamb. The lamb is going to be slaughtered, but. The lamb's brought into the house for a five-day period of inspection. It's observed within the privacy of each household for that period. The particularity of the lamb begins to increase. And I want you to see this even in the language of this text. First, in verse 3, it's referred to as a lamb. How do we know it's a lamb? Well, in, in Hebrew, there is no such thing as an indefinite article. Uh, we would say a as compared to the. But if it does not have a definite article, a hey, it is just a lamb, any lamb. It's as though they went and they looked at the lambs and they selected and they say, eeny, meeny, mighty, mo, you'll do. And they took a lamb. It was just one lamb. But then in the next verse, verse four, a definite article is, empl is employed and it becomes the animal. There's something definitive about this. As they're observing it, as they're watching it, as they're spending time with it, it becomes more definite. And eventually, we're told in verse 5 that it is your lamb. Do you see that progression? First, it's just a lamb. Then it's the lamb. And then it becomes your lamb. Here, taking of a lamb represents a recession inward to the individual home, seeding a communal attachment for the sake of increased personal awareness. In a move toward Gevura, toward strengthening, towards drawing into the family, the lamb becomes more sentient 
to the observing family, any attachments to it become much more sentimental. So no doubt its death will seem more brutal and become more efficacious as the awareness of its innocence becomes that much more acute. You know, you can see that even today in the difference between, I'm told by a uh, member of our congregation who's a veterinarian, that um, having worked in more rural areas, animals are less like pets. You know, when you know that the that the animal you're raising is going may become a meal or it becomes part of the workload of the farm, an animal is treated more less like a pet. But here in the Northeast, animals become members of families. And so it is when you withdraw to the family, when you close in, the animal becomes that much more sentient and the attachments become sentimental. Well, the same, I believe, can be said for Yeshua. From a distance, he's a prophet among many and a Messiah among many candidates. When I grew up, I learned that Yeshua was... In, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, was, you know, not the problem. It was that Paul who made him out to be a god. But Yeshua was a good teacher. It was very, very it, his teachings were good. They were consistent with the teachings of, of most of them, with the teachings of Judaism. And he was a good teacher. But that's where it ended. Now, many brilliant scholars have sought to place him within the great expanse of history only to lose the power of his personality, the magnetism of his presence, and the dynamism of his spirit. But when you draw closer to him, as many of us have and have gone through, what we experience is his life. We imbibe of his spirit. He goes from being a Messiah to becoming the Messiah. He's not just a teacher. He is the greatest teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's a prophet greater than Moses, and he is the one who we have been waiting for. But then eventually, you have to ask yourself, has he become your Messiah? Only in the closeness of such examination can one better know the love and the nearness of God, and most importantly, the depths of our own need and then the need of those around us. It's in this awareness of our neediness that it propels us out into the community and compels us to seek others. Torah tells us that around the Paschal Lamb, a new chesed community forms. For we read again in Exodus chapter 12, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor near next to his house Take it according to the number of people. In other words, the lamb is never too small for the family, but the lamb can be big enough for the entire community. Living together, sharing needs, provision, and protection is made possible through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. It is in the withdrawing into ourselves, withdrawing with God, drawing closer to him, that we then gain the strength to be able to reach out to others. And more than the strength, if we're truly close to God, we should develop the desire to reach out and to serve and to help others. 
So then how natural would it be for all Jews to begin the Seder with this strange declaration? This is the bread of poverty. The bread of poverty, the bread of affliction. Poor slaves ate matzah because they didn't have time for the bread to rise. But it's followed by the seemingly contrary yet open invitation for all who are hungry to come and eat. It's not the physical act of eating that draws us all together. Rather, it's a great sense of solidarity and the empathy that we each crave. It's only in our deepest awareness of poverty, suffering, and brokenness that we're drawn out of our self-protective cocoons and into the loving embrace of community. We learn how to accept others, and they learn how to accept us. We learn that we are not just strange funhouse reflections of each other, but we're a complementary in our relationship, that we're perfected in each other, that we are not individually created in the image of God, but rather collectively all of humankind is created in the image of God. So therefore we need one another. I really believe that in this particular time, we are given a very, very um, great opportunity to meet the needs of others, especially uh, giving selflessly. While there is so many who are in need around the world, you mentioned helping the people who are suffering in the Ukraine, uh, the refugees from that area, the refugees from Syria and from other parts of the world, food insecurity in our own neighborhoods is rampant. And we're compelled to heed the aspirations of Torah that declare, however, there may be no destitute among you. A strange declaration considering 10 verses later, it says, you will always have poor among you. In other words, God allows us to have the opportunity to participate in the end of hunger and those who are destitute, we can help and reach out to one another. It's a great blessing of God that we're told in Deuteronomy 15. But chesed, loving kindness, also allows us to enter the emotional space of others through the gift of empathy. We can relate to the pain and suffering of others. We can feel their pain, so to speak, and we can help to meet the need of eliminating it. Emmanuel Levinas, the great philosopher of the last century, said that there is no way that we can remove our own pain by by trying to uh, by trying to solve our own problems, but rather we eliminate pain by reaching out to the dissonant other. But chesed comes with a price, and empathy and compassion can often leave scars. It's no wonder, wonder then that before placing himself upon the altar of redemption, Yeshua retreated to Gethsemane to share his suffering with his father and to be strengthened. And it also should not come as a surprise to us that he's told us to pick up our crosses daily. We are to allow ourselves to not just bask in our own comfort, but to recognize that there is so much pain in this world and we have the ability to be like Yeshua, to just alleviate some small little bits of pain. So when we embrace his sacrifice through the poverty attained, through the introspection of Gevura, 
when we look deeply at ourselves and we strengthen, we can truly enter into the chesed community. After Yeshua partook of his final Seder with his disciples, he prayed the following prayer, which we see in the Gospel of Yochanan in the 17th chapter. Father, just as you are in me, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this year, as we continue to keep the Passover, as we contemplate the Passover lamb and God's gift of redemption, may this prayer of Yeshua become manifest in our lives and in our redemptive communities. So Avinu, we just thank you for the sacrifice of Yeshua, but we thank you for the capacity to be able to sacrifice for one another and for all of those who are in the world. May you give us the strength to be able to do so. May we come to a new heightened sense of awareness of the need of others. May you give us the strength to reach out both individually and together. And will you help us to know when we need to be, to draw closer to you. Lord, may your love be manifest in us. May the world see us. May the world see you through us. And may we live for the sake of others. And in that, might we be made complete in your love. We pray this in the blessed name of Yeshua. Amen.